can be 
seem to be a characteristic of a believer and a non-believer. In believers, it is usually a weakness of faith, a wavering in the face of God's promise. And the unbeliever doubt is virtually synonymous with just flat-out not believing. Doubt is different from unbelief, and in some other way that temptation is different from sin. Doubt can come and go, but unbelief is a conclusion someone reaches, a deliberate decision to live life as if, as if there is no God. Doubt and faith can coexist in someone's life at the same time, but that's not the case with unbelief. As Christians, our doubts need to scare us better. So is it, so is it okay to have doubts from time to time? I think it is. Having doubts is part of our Christian life. I think they scare us, however, because we're afraid of what our doubts might mean. I think there's a lot of fear that can flood into our lives when doubts come. Our doubts might question God's goodness, God's sovereignty, His mercy, or His grace. But instead of pulling us farther away from Him, could He be using that doubt to draw us closer to Him, not push us farther away? Doubts would be like a house guest. You know, that friend way back from college or high school. They come to visit for a little bit, and they just turn everything upside down and inside out. But they only stay for a little while. Then they leave. See, doubt is not meant to be there and stay there in your heart. See, we're supposed to seek. We're supposed to ask the questions, questions we cannot. And who will give us the answers? There's a lot of folks in the Bible that have doubts, that have questions. We're not alone in that. And, and I want to share a few of those folks with us to encourage us this morning so that you know you're not alone with doubts. You're not the only one that has doubts. When we hear someone else that has doubts, it's encouraging to us, isn't it? I mean, in humans, when we see someone else struggling with something, it, it doesn't make us happy that they're struggling. But it helps us to know that we see someone else struggling with something and they make it through. Because when I'm struggling with that, I can look to them as an encouragement. They made it through so I can make it through. So, in the New Testament, after Jesus died and rose again, he appears 13 times, and that's what theologians call post-resurrection appearances. So 13 different times he appears to people. He appeared to the women at the tomb. He appeared to 10 disciples at one point. He, he appeared to the guys while they were fishing, to a meal, up on a mountain top. In Matthew 28, the disciples were on a mountain top before the ascension. And before he ascended into heaven, Jesus gave his disciples their divine assignment. He told them the very same thing he tells them. And that was to go to all the world and tell the story of what had happened. To tell the story 
to tell the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. That Jesus was without sin. That he became sin. That he died on the cross for us. That he didn't say that God raised him from the dead so that anyone who knows him and believes in him and puts their trust in him will be forgiven. So if you're here today and you're listening to this, and you haven't made that decision to follow Christ, I want to encourage you today to do that. And if you have questions, if you have doubts, that's okay. There's a lot of people that would be very happy to work through those questions and doubts with you. Tens who came up and opened. Paul would love to sit down with you to Anyone on the worship team, the guys in the back, if you don't know who to go to, go to one of these individuals. If they don't know the answer, I trust that they will search for you and help you find that answer. Or if you're more comfortable, when Pastor Allen is back, talk to him. But please don't let the opportunity pass. That is the most important decision that you can make. So, let's read together Matthew 28, 16, and 17. We're going to start talking about the disciples. Now, eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. See, there it is. Some doubted. How could they? I mean, think about it. Here were the disciples. They traveled with Jesus. They sat at his feet. They listened to him teaching firsthand. They've seen him resurrected. resurrected. They've put their hands in the wounds. They've seen the wounds. They're worshiping him, but some doubt. All of the things that they've been through with him, and yet some doubt. But they didn't stay in that bad, did they? They pressed in. They started thinking back to the teaching that they had learned from Jesus. They listened to what he had to say. And then what they did, they all went together. And they prayed, they passed in. They did exactly what Jesus told them, they prayed together. Even though some doubted and they were weak, by pressing in, asking questions, they got past that doubt. Then what did they do? Acts told us. They went out proclaiming the gospel. They did exactly what Jesus had told them to do. And there's, there's one example in particular that is synonymous with this with this topic. Thomas. He's been given the uh, you know the nickname Doubting Thomas. Um, not that that's a great nickname to be saddled with, but uh, nonetheless, he has it. He wasn't there the time when Jesus came into the room and appeared to them. And, you know, the, the other disciples told him, we saw him, we saw him, he was there. Well, Thomas died. We read about it in John 20, 24, and 29. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hand, the mark of the nails, 
and placed my finger into the mark of the nail and placed my hand into the side, I would never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with him. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hand. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. See, Thomas had doubt. At least one word defining this doubt. Remember, doubt is questioning what you believe. Unbelief is not believing. It is a determined refusal to believe. Thomas didn't have unbelief. He didn't say, nope, no way, no way, there is no way. He didn't continue to just go there and argue with the disciples and say, there is no way possible to that was Jesus. He had doubt. He had questions. And what was he doing? He said, he gave the word, he said, I need, I need to see, I need my questions answered. I need, I need to see the wounds. And that's exactly what Jesus did for him. He showed him the wounds. He took care of Thomas's doubt. See, Thomas was seeking, he was looking, he was knocking, right? Just like Matthew 7, 7 tells us. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Thomas was seeking the answers to the questions. His doubt wasn't leading him. He wasn't rebelling and saying, I won't look and accept an answer. That's not doubt. That's determined refusal to believe. That's not what Thomas was doing. And when we have doubts, when we have questions, as long as we are seeking God and humbling ourselves to ask Him, to ask Him the questions and accept His answers, we're doing what God is doing. We're strengthening our walk with Him. Thomas and the disciples aren't the only doubters in the Bible. There's countless, countless number of folks in the Bible. I want to go back into Genesis uh, and read Genesis 17, 15 through 17 and talk about a husband and wife that had died. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be your name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Skipping forward to 18, 10 15. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, but then seniors. The way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah, but Sarah lied to herself, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah lie and say, Shall I indeed bear a child, now that I am old? 
It's anything too hard for the Lord. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not lie, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did lie. Abraham and Sarah were two very important figures in the Old Testament. Both of them had followed God faithfully through a lot of lifelong challenges and trials. But they couldn't bring themselves to believe this one. They couldn't believe this promise that God had made to them. They doubted it. Not only did they doubt it, they laughed out loud. God even questions her about her laughing, and she denies it. They were verbally doubting what they had been told. But then, God gave them the answer in them. He gave them Isaac. Through all of this, through all of the doubt, seeing the answer and accepting it, Abraham's trust in God had grown so great that he was even willing to sacrifice that child that God asked. But that had a different way, as we know. God did not make him sacrifice, sacrifice but Abraham was willing to. See, not long back he was doubting, but now he had full trust in God. He didn't stay in that doubt. He looked for the answers. Father Abraham was laughing, but he trusted. He trusted God to put it in and not really that doubt. So, what about? I know I'm going to do this now. Every time I say these three names, all I can think of is the Ten Davids little blurb he did about my shack, your shack, and Winnebago. So, if I say Winnebago instead of, no, I can't even say it. So, I want to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did they doubt? I mean, talk about being in a fire. These three were literally thrown into a fire. King Nebuchadnezzar, he had a golden figure made, and this is the only thing that anybody was supposed to worship. Everyone was supposed to kneel and worship this golden figure. And if they didn't, they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, it was made known to King Nebuchadnezzar that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego continued to worship their God and would not bow to the golden statue. So the king sent for them to be brought to him. The king liked and respected these three. So he wanted to give them another chance. He called them to himself to give them another chance to reconsider and to bow to the statue. But they refused. But let's read the story from Daniel 3. Um, it's a 16 verse 30, but we're only going to read 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. It just be so, our God, who we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, 
and it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But this response, the king was so mad that he had them keep the first to seven times its normal heat. And I have Shadrach, Meshach, and then go bound and thrown into the fire. It was so hot that the guys that took them up to throw them in the fire were consumed by the fire even before they got in the fire. So think about it. When you were younger or whatever, you're standing around that blazing campfire, and somebody throws more wood and more wood on it, you start backing up because you can feel that heat, right? Well, these guys were con- the guys that threw them in were consumed by the fire. That's how hot it was. So the king's watching this. And then he asked, didn't we throw three men into the furnace? I see four. So he called them, he called the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out from the fire. And he saw that they were unhurt, they were unharmed. And he declared that they were sons of the most high God. He declared that everyone in his nation could worship their God. This story is often used to encourage our faith. And it should. I mean, this is a great example of men that have great faith in the Lord. But look, look looking at verse 18 a little closer. It says, But if not, you see that? He will deliver us out of your king, your hand, O king. But if not, and it known to you, O king. That we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not, they're not doubting that the Lord can. They fully believe He can. They show no fear. But if not, they're saying no matter what, we're not going to worship your golden statue. But if not, we believe God can and will deliver us from your kingdom. We will not bow down to the golden image. He will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, put yourself in that position. Let's ponder that situation a little bit. Not to worship from the golden image. We all agree that is a hard task. No. Not going to happen. We're not going to do it. And knowing God will deliver us out of the king's hand. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. But how? I mean, think about it. You're bound, and he's going to throw you into this fire that you can already feel the heat from, and you're way away from it. You know the Lord is going to save you, deliver you out of, this, out of the king's hand. But how is he going to do that? Well, I think there's three options for that to happen. And that's why I'm saying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to die. Because they didn't know how God was going to deliver them out of that situation. So, what, what are the three options? Option one, he makes the king just let us go. No furnace, just let us leave. Option two, we're put in the furnace and he protects us and we walk out unharmed. Option three, we're put in the furnace. And you perish. How is option three God delivering us? 
promise to us is not to keep our physical bodies protected and always alive. He promises to be with us and us with him. If we perish in the fire, we are still with him, aren't we? And he is still with us. And we're out of the kingdom And we are in God's name. We are with him. Remember, earlier I said, doubt is sometimes questions that we don't know the answer to because we don't understand everything. We don't have all the answers. Well, God does. Don't know doubt stem from not knowing, not understanding, not having all the answers. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Our question of not knowing leads us to God. We believe. We believe in God. We know He is God. But we still have doubt. The last example I want to share is from the book of Mark, chapter 9. A father brings his son to the disciples who has an unclean spirit, and the disciples are unable to help him. They're unable to cast this unclean spirit out. So the disciples and the father bring the boy to Jesus. Let's read about that in Mark 9, 21 through 24. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to them, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child comes out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. The father says, I believe, help my unbelief. Isn't that what we're saying? I believe, help my unbelief, help my doubt. From his book, Help My Unbelief, Barnabas Piper says there are two types of doubt unbelieving doubt and believing doubt. He says that unbelieving doubt is distorted doubt that looks ahead at what God promises and says either, I don't want them, I don't believe that exists. It's just flat out rebellion. He goes on to say, that unbelieving doubt is meant to attack, to cripple, to devastate. It does not want to progress to an answer. It wants to show that there is no answer. It is a complete and total refusal to believe in God or His way. Unbelieving doubt destroys. Believing doubt strengthens our belief. Believing doubt is what the Father had. I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my doubt. I'm weak. Help me. Think back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had believing doubt. They were not questioning doubt. They said, but if not, they are questioning, they're doubting the outcome, not God. They know that God can save them from the fire of 
and deliver them from the community. But what they didn't know, what they were questioning, was how he would save them. That's not questioning God. That's not doubting God. That's saying, we don't know what the end result is going to be. We know God is real. We know God is faithful. We know God loves us. We know God can and He will. We just don't know that fine. That is believing doubt. Let the Father help my unbelief, help my doubt. We know we can pull. We know He can pull us out of the fire. He can remove the unclean spirit. We know He can have a ninety-year-old lady that laughed at Him have a child that grows up to the grave. We know He can. We know He can. Fill in that blank. What is that thing? What is that thing that is something that you have doubts about? We know He can. We're not doubting who He is. We're doubting the outcomes, right? I believe, help my unbelief. Even when we're in the midst and we're questioning, why are you allowing this to happen? To good and loving God, why are you allowing this? We're not questioning who God is. We're not doubting God. We don't see the big picture. We don't know what the end result is going to be. How many times when you're in the fire, you just don't know why? You don't understand. You question, why? Why am I walking through this? Why me? Why my friend? Why my family? When God helps your unbelief, He delivers you from the trial, and you look back, and you know it makes sense. Remember, there's, there were three options for Him to deliver us from the trial. It's not always the option we want it to be, but it's He will always deliver us from that trial. My believing God has helped me. It helps us ask questions. It helps us look for the answer. It helps us look back to God. It helps us to grow in a relationship with God. My believing God helps me in my walk. See, our walk is a process. We're never there. We never arrive. Barnabas Piper equates our walk, a journey, with people getting sick. It's a journey. When we look around, we can see who's been working out, who hasn't been working out, who's sick, who's not sick. And when we start, if we start working out, and those 10 push-ups or those 10 sit-ups, I could be able to do them. They were really tough. But 30, 60, 90 days later, as we're continuing to work out, we're doing, we're doing 50 sit-ups, 50 push-ups, and it's easy because we're working. We're pressing in. But what happens, you know, 5, 10 years later when we're not working out anymore? We're back to those 10 push-ups or those 10 sit-ups. Wow, they're tough. And the older you get, the harder they get. So, what about our believing doubt? 
you believe, but you have unbelief. You're doubt. You're not getting work done. Remember, our faith is a journey we have to work on. We have to keep asking those questions. We have to keep pressing in. We don't want to go back to being that person that lied and died. But if we do, guess what? When we press in, he's going to answer that doubt. He's going to answer that question. And remember, you're not in this alone. Back to that encouragement thing. We are to encourage each other every day. So, when you're talking, confide in that someone that you have. Or when you see someone struggling with doubt, encourage them. Help them press in and help them find those answers. Isaiah 40, 28, and 29 says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the of the ends of the earth, who does not think or go weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the saints, and to him who has no money, he increases strength. That is one of his promises. He will give us the strength to overcome our doubt. He gives power to the saints. That's us. That's all of us. If we press in and ask him the questions, Share our hearts and our struggles with him. Share our doubts with him. Because he already knows them, doesn't he? Whether we say them out loud, whether we say them to him or not, he already knows them there. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Doubt comes quite often when we're leaning upon our own understanding instead of trusting God. When we look at our circumstances instead of the God who rules over those circumstances. When you trust in what you can do, what I can do, instead of what God can do. Remember, He is in control of the hard times and the dry seasons. To give power to the faith. Pastor Adrian Rogers said, Faith is not positive thinking, following in heart, hoping for the best, and trying to make it work. It's not a feeling of optimism. It's not believing what you know isn't so. When Abraham went out, he didn't know why, and he didn't know where. He only knew, knew who. You may not know where you're going or what you're doing, but God does. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't try to figure out exactly how God is going to work everything out. Acknowledge Him and trust that He will make your path straight. This doesn't mean that you don't have questions. It doesn't mean everything is easy and straightforward. It does mean that you should hope in God. And cling to him in every circumstance. Whether you're in green pastures or about to be turned into the wine den. Whether you're in the promised land or you have your back against the fiery furnace. Our faith is in God. God has always been and always will be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just 
we thank you for those doubts that time. But you rise up in us. You bring them to us. You bring them to light in our hearts and our minds that we put them so that we can pass them to you, so that we can hear to you right so we can ask you those questions. And Lord, you are faithful. You are strong Lord, you always give us the answer. And it's always your answer. We may not understand. We may not know the law of the way. But Lord, we are always in your hands. Lord, I just, I just pray that because no one here that has a stronger doubt than they feel they can share. Lord, I just pray that you will just just put encouragement in their hands, Lord. Just, just help them to know that they can share that Lord. That they can talk to you, they can come to you. Lord, and that you will hold them in your hands. You will protect them. You will keep them. Lord, I just thank you. 